Guess who's back? It is at Pecone 36. I'm Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report, episode number 54. I apologize to you guys. Um, unannounced absence last week. I got bombed on the Super Bowl. Um, <clears throat> I think I was hungover for like three days, probably. And, you know, kind of set back my sobriety a little bit, which is a shame. But, you know, hey, back on the train, baby, one day at a time. Um, yep, there's Turkey making his appearance. I think uh, what I wanted to do today was, and I, and I mentioned this in the podcast, so if it gets redundant, I apologize. I feel like I've been, I, I hit the wall, and I think I say that early in, the, in this podcast. I feel like I've watched uh, Virginia Tech and Louisville and Florida State and NC State and North Carolina just constantly over the past couple weeks. And I think I keep, I was getting a little repetitive on everything I was saying. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to give you guys a break. I wanted to give myself a break. And then I wanted to come back and do a nice big fat episode of where everybody's at, where I think each program is right now, as far as this season and as far as the future, um, changes that I think need to be made. Anybody on the hot seat, recruiting, um, system, possible defections, possible job changes, anything like that, that I thought may be, Correct. I also gave uh, some midseason awards, first team, rookie team, uh, player of the year, rookie of the year, sixth man of the year, coach of the year in this podcast. So <clears throat> it was kind of just a rundown, um, random thoughts. Uh, my int- my my printer was out of ink, so I didn't have to, I didn't uh, print any of my notes. Unfortunately, I was just going off screens. So sometimes that impacts the audio. If that's the case, I do apologize. I also want to announce that uh, T, friend of the program, Harold Little, uh, father of uh, North Carolina forward Nasir Little will be making another appearance on the podcast next week which has Charlie obviously uh, excited him being a North Carolina graduate and fan and Kinchin is quiet on that front <laughs> being an NC State graduate and fan but um no I mean it's always good when T comes on me and him always have good conversations and I'm interested to see uh you know how how uh Nasir has handled uh, his freshman season that while it wasn't, I wouldn't categorize it, at, categorize it as disappointing. I would categorize it as unexpected. Okay. I think there was a certain expectation from Nasir coming into the season and that expectation is not what we received. Now, whether that is Nasir's fault, no. Um, Roy Williams fault, no. Carolina's 19 and four and nine and one in the ACC. I think... It's a, it's a situation where, again, we have certain expectations of players coming out of high school, kids, that aren't warranted. You know, G-Tech fans had a certain expectation of, of Michael DeVoe coming into this year. Not warranted, okay? Um, Wake Forest had a, a, an expectation of Jalen Horde coming into this year, okay? Do you guys forget that your coach is terrible, okay? he had he's, Danny Mings had one guy. Okay, John Collins actually lived up to his potential. Um, and, you know, I think it's a situation where you want everybody to be the kids that go to Duke and, North, and, 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 and Kentucky. And for some, that's just not possible. It's, and, it's not, and it's not likely. You, you don't have that many people that are extraordinary, that are trendsetters, that are transcendent in the sport. Now, Nasir has looked very good lately. I thought he looked a lot better on defense yesterday on closeouts and things of that nature. But anyway, next week, the old man's coming on. We're going to talk about it. He's going to give me thoughts on that. He's gonna, I'm going to make sure he talks about Kobe White because that kid is fucking awesome. 
Uh, I apologize for taking a week off without letting you guys know. This is a long episode. I think it's almost 80 minutes long. And other than that, don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your mom. And I hope you guys also enjoy the new intro. It is not complete yet. I have some tinkering left to do on it. But uh, it is all mine, as opposed to me pirating music and possibly getting in trouble. So, this is the ACC Basketball Report, episode number 54. Hope you guys enjoy. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor, Okogi! He beat the buzzer! Randolph Childress. Nice little cross. Oh, my. What a cross over there. Inbounds goes to Lewis. Here's Jack out front. Jack on the line. Yeah! Oh! Roy Williams wants to turn it to steal. And Kyle runs out. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! All right, what's going on, guys? I am back after a uh, after a two-week hiatus. I, uh, you know, sometimes... In this, uh, in college basketball, and I've heard, I've actually heard other podcasts talk about it recently, and I'm, I'm kind of happy that I'm not the only one. Is I, I kind of hit the wall. Um, you hear about freshmen kind of hitting the wall when they're, uh, you know, coming into college basketball for, for their first season, and after 20 or so games, they hit the wall. Well, I think what I've done is I've kind of maybe overextended myself a little bit. You know, I'm doing some stuff for Slap the Sun, doing some stuff for the Rockin' 25. Uh, doing some stuff for gtswarm.com. Um, I agreed to do the Under the Golden Dome podcast, which I've yet to do. But, you know, I, I did ACC Weekly. I did ACC Nation. Um, and, you know, what I've done is I've just committed myself to so much that I got a little bit burnt out and I hit the wall. And maybe it's the, you know, I'm ready for I'm ready for conference championship week. It, it is really ultimately what I'm, what I'm looking to be, where I'm looking to be right now. I think we've seen kind of what we need to see and how many I just feel like I've been watching Virginia Tech North Carolina State and Louisville on an endless loop for weeks and it just it was time to take a break I mean how many times can I say that Florida State's inconsistent that Syracuse offense is garbage that Boston College isn't living up to their preseason hype and that Clemson is disappointing it feels like I was saying it every week I figured I'd take a break from it I figured I'd give you guys a break from it and what I wanted to do today was I want to kind of hit the reset button so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down through in inverse order of the standings and kind of give you my thoughts on where each program's at, call it the uh, maybe the state of the union of each program, and you know just give my thoughts on what I think, where they're headed, maybe who's on the hot seat, uh, maybe a little bit of recruiting stuff, where I think these teams need to improve, things of that nature. So what I'm going to do is let's start from the bottom of the ACC, and surprisingly enough, when when I was getting prepped for the show, I immediately went to Wake Forest to, to start the show because they're in 15th place, right? Incorrect. The last place team in the ACC right now is actually Pittsburgh at 2-9, and nine, which is interesting because if you look at the ACC power rankings that came out today on ACCBasketballReport.com, 
we actually have Pittsburgh ranked as the seventh team from the bottom, I believe. Something of that nature. So at 2-9, and nine, they sit in the standings below. But if you actually watch them play, they look pretty good on the court. They're actually ranked 76th in Ken Palm right now. Whereas Wake Forest is up in the 100 and somethings. But looking at this team, I think what we're seeing is... Hold on a second. Let me turn this phone off. You know, what we're seeing is the good foundation of a program that at once I thought was a five-year rebuild. And I think that Pittsburgh made a great hire in Jeff Capel, uh, who is going to get after it recruiting. I think he's showing that he might be a better in-game coach than I originally gave him credit for. Um, you know, dropping the Wake Forest game the other day, who is 175th in Ken Palm right now, is is not great, but it was a road game. This is a young Pittsburgh team. They play hard. I think you have your future backcourt in Trey McGowan's and Xavier Johnson giving you that two-point guard lineup that I think a lot of programs are going to with this new positionless basketball. Uh, he's going to recruit, unfortunately, Kudus Wahab, who was probably his best shot at a big man for the 2000, a quality big man. For the 2019 season, recently committed to Georgetown, which was interesting, given the plethora of big men that Patrick Ewing seems to be assembling right now. Um, I think they are a quality scoring big man away from being an impact team. Now, as I hit the wall, Pittsburgh has also hit the wall. Okay, I thought they played well yesterday against North Carolina State, which I'm going to get to the, the this weekend's games here in just a second. Which I thought I thought yesterday was a great day for ACC basketball. Um, watching yesterday's game, I think Terrell Brown, who was a holdover from the Kevin Stallings days, may be the guy that they can develop into being a consistent pivot guy for them. Um, he hit a couple threes yesterday. He was active on the glass. You know, he's a big, tall, rangy kid. Um, he's got some skill to him, uh, more skill than I think Kenny Chapuka has, and I believe he's only a sophomore. So he's got. He's got the physical tools. He's got the upside. One of, I mean, I, I've been saying it all season that Pittsburgh needs to recruit a big man. Capel has obviously prioritized the big man for the 2019 class. And if you need any more indication that that's the case, if you go to Ken Palm and you look at their block percentage, they are 353rd in the country in block percentage. So the one thing that is a glaring weakness for them, uh, apart from some shooting and maybe some turnover percentages and things like that, that that's attributable to young guards, but we all know these guards are talented, is they need a big man. They need a rim protector. They need a guy <clears throat> who can just clog up the paint. You know what I mean? Like the the Dewan Hernandez is the Carrie Blackshears. Um, I'm not going to say Luke May, but maybe, you know, the Garrison. Eh, Garrison Brooks isn't really a good example either. But uh, Marcus Bolden for Duke certainly fits that role. Um, James Banks from Georgia Tech certainly fits that role. Um, Olivier Saar is starting to fit that role for Wake Forest. <clears throat> but that's the kinds of deficiency that they currently have in Pittsburgh. Now, uh, I mentioned before, and I forgot to get it before I got in this rundown, yesterday's games I thought were fantastic. Uh, three games decided by five points or less, two of them go to overtime. I was a little bit underwhelmed by the big marquee game of the night, which was Duke and Louisville, um, sorry, Duke and Virginia. I, I, I thought that was going to be a better game. I thought Virginia came out kind of flat. Obviously, Duke shot the lights out. That is the Duke team that if they figured it out, if last night was what they needed to figure out how to shoot from three, nobody's going to smell them the rest of the year. 
they're going to run the table. They're going to win the conference tournament. They're going to win the NCAA tournament. It's as simple as that. If if Trey Jones is hitting threes, if Cam Reddish is, what was he, five of seven, four for six, if he's hitting threes, if R.J. Barrett is hitting threes like that, I mean, nobody's going to stop Zion once he gets in the paint or when he gets going downhill into the bucket. Um, when you have a situation like that, you don't need a whole lot from Marcus Bolden. You just need to have him not allow his guy to, you know, to score 20 points. And, uh, you know, that is the Duke team that we've been wanting to see. And if they're going to play like that, then they're going to win the championship. It's, it's basically, uh, that's basically as simple as it is. Um, getting back to Pittsburgh, <clears throat> They currently have no commits for the 2019 class. I certainly expect that to change um, with Jeff Capel at the helm. He's going to get somebody in the late period. Probably a... I I would imagine he's going to get a wing and a big man at the very least because you're going to have to replace that Jared Wilson frame on the wing as well. I'll get to tomorrow's rundown of my thoughts after we get done with this. Uh, Moving up to 14th place, a team that, again, really impressed me yesterday. Miami of Florida took uh, North Carolina to overtime. Right now, Miami is 73rd in Ken Palm. Um, they have lost, what, one, two, three, four, five, six out of their last seven. Their only win coming at home against Notre Dame. You know, and, and this isn't, there's not a whole lot of problems in Miami that can't be turned around quickly, I don't believe. Uh, you have a dynamic point guard in Chris Likes, who's probably going to play for four years, I would imagine. You have. Zach Johnson, unfortunately, is a grad transfer, but Vasilovich is going to be around for another year. You know, you get Dengak back. You have a very good recruiting class coming in next year with Isaiah Wong. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Let me pull it up real quick. Isaiah Wong, Anthony Walker, um, two very good, two top 100, 150 type players. Um, Cameron McGusty gets eligible next year. I think, you know, obviously Laranega is a very good coach. I just, I think that it's not that big of a turnaround time for for Miami to get back. They just need some depth. Um, it's just, it was, they've been hit by injuries and suspensions. And maybe, you know, the Rodney Miller red shirt, they, they didn't really want to burn that. Unfortunately, he wasn't really ready to play. So they're just going to kind of grit and bear it. I think Sam Wardenberg has played well for them this year. He is only a sophomore, so he'll be back next year. <clears throat> I, I think it's a short turnaround. And Miami's got talent here already. They got good coaching here already. And they've got talent on the way. So the rest of the way, unfortunately for them, you know, they get Clemson at home, which is a winnable game for them if they play like they did yesterday. They get Boston College on the road, which is definitely winnable. They get Georgia Tech at home, which is obviously winnable. Wake Forest at Wake Forest, which is obviously winnable. So for the next four games, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be shocking to see a 6-8 and eight Miami team if they are able to play the way that they played yesterday. Now that's... You know, it's going to be five games in two and a half weeks on a short bench. Who knows what you're going to see. Um, you know, they also get Pittsburgh on March 5th. So, you know, really five out of their last seven are pretty winnable games. That Clemson game is kind of a tweener. They do get the Pittsburgh game at home. They are favored in three of their last seven. Those being the Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, and Pittsburgh games. You know, if you look at their metrics, it's it's all front court related. Um, offensive rebounding percentage, they're 256th. I think that of all the teams that it may be bad luck 
that they're down at the bottom of the ACC. Miami is by far the 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 one that is the biggest outlier as far as how quickly they can turn it around. Uh, in 13th place, we have Wake Forest, who is dead last in the ACC basketballreport.com power rankings. They currently rank 175th in Ken Palm. The only reason they're not in last place is because they have one less loss. They've only played 10 games instead of 11. Uh, for those who may not, you know, be aware, I am firmly on board that I think Danny Manning gets another season at this point. There's just, I think by now, you would have heard some kind of chatter that they were looking. There's been no um, empty vote of confidence from from the AD, Ron Wellman. There's been, you know, the talk of Jalen Horde returning to school is certainly huge. They don't have a ton coming in for next year. I think you know Ishmael Masood is a player who is a project. If you want him to play on the wing, he's got to kind of gain more weight. His shooting is good enough, but if you want him to post up, he really needs to gain weight. So he's kind of a toothpick right now, but he's got some he's got some floor stretching ability. But their only other commit is Jacoby Neath. I don't know a whole lot about him, but the OD was. Ogiyama is a player who is definitely a project. Neath is a two-star guy, so yeah, he's more than likely not an immediate impact player when you have guys like Sharon Wright, Brandon Childress is going to be back next year, um, and then obviously Chani Brown. <clears throat> now, if you look at this team's talent, I mean, look at next year's team. you got Childress and Brown in the, in the backcourt with Wright coming off the bench. Jalen Horde is going to probably start at the 3-4 slot. Um, Olivier Sar is obviously going to start at center next year. And then Isaiah Musius, I would imagine, starts at the three. I, I could see uh, a situation where, you know, Childress Wright and um, and Chaundy Brown all start in the backcourt and you still bring Musius off the bench. Musius is a 6'8 small forward who I think is just is dynamic. And for me, I would bring Wright off the bench but he's a big kid. He's a spark plug kid. They may like him in that starting role. And they may like Musius in that reserve role, coming off the bench, giving them some immediate impact scoring off of the pine. As far as this program and what I think, they're, they need a change. At the very least, they need a change on the bench. And I'm not specifically talking about Danny Manning. It may be a situation where you need a guy to come in and look at your bigs because Olivier Saar has not developed the way you would want um your your defense is uh, it's atrocious um you know adjusted defensive efficiency is 207th in the nation you know not not great 297th and two-point percentage allowed 305th in opponents uh steal percentage that's actually a reflection on your offense average field goals made per game or sorry attempted uh field goals per um, field goals made per game. They're three hundred and third. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of bad things. It's offense and defense. Obviously, Manning has to go, but with his contract situation, I don't think he's going to. I think we would have heard more by now. This program right now has talent, like I said, but it's probably like a three-year rebuild because by the time somebody gets in there, Childress, Horde, maybe even Musius are all going to be gone. And when those three are gone, uh, as well as Chandy Brown. You got a bad situation because right now you're seeing it affect recruiting in a negative way. Manning has not brought in a big 
name guy like he has last year with Musius and Horde, the year before with Chandy Brown, and the year before that when he was able to bring in Bryant Crawford, Doral Moore, and, and a couple other guys. <clears throat> so I think right now, as far as dumpster fires go, Wake Forest is up there in this league as far as the biggest turnarounds. But if they were to get rid of Manning and bring somebody in for next year and he was able to keep these guys, he may be able to parlay some success. Uh, say Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro. If he was able to be successful next year, he may be able to parlay that into some success for the 2020 recruiting uh, cycle. And if that was the case, Wake Forest would be a quick turnaround. Uh, also at 2-8 and eight in the league this year is Boston College, who's a little bit of a disappointment this year. I think at this point, we kind of know what we got. They've been a little snake bitten with some injuries, things like that. You know, Winston Tabs being out. But Kai Bowman simply has not been the player that we thought he was going to be this year. You know, he was a dark horse for me as ACC Player of the Year. At 2-8, and eight, he is way out of consideration unless, Wake, uh, unless Boston College goes on a huge run. Uh, and I mean a winning streak. And I, I think... That's not possible, one, not without tabs. And two, I think this is going to result in maybe Jim Christian losing his job. I think a lot of people have been clamoring for that for for a while now. I am not necessarily on that train. Um, I think that he is such a he's, he's such a good offensive coach. He, if I was if I was uh, a coach around the way, for instance, say I coached in Atlanta. And my team averaged 54 and a half points over the past few weeks. If Jim Christian got fired, Jim Christian would be the first guy that I call. He, he's probably going to get another head coaching gig pretty quickly in a, at a mid-major. If, for instance, he doesn't, I'm making that call. And somebody on my bench is going. And Jim Christian's going to come in and coach my guards. Because you've already got big man whisperer Eric Reveno. If you could put uh, guard whisperer Jim Christian on that bench... With Mike DeVoe and Jose Alvarado. Shit, yeah. Uh, next year, you know, Jay Heath, decent. Uh, I think that Calvin Felder is a high upside, undersized forward. I think, you know, he's going to play the four. But he's more of an energy guy. Got a lot of bounce. But even next year, you know, I think Bowman's obviously going to go pro. And you lose Jordan Chapman to, to graduation. But you still get both Hamilton guys back. You're going to get Nick Popovich back. I, I like what I saw from Stefan Mitchell this year when he has been healthy. Obviously, Heron, uh, I'm sorry, obviously Tabs is a player. Uh, Chris Heron Jr. has a good pedigree and has shown it in spurts this year. Uh, Jairus Hamilton has shown it in spurts. Uh, Luka Kraljevich was pretty decent yesterday. So, you know, I don't know who you're going to get at Boston College to be better. Certainly at 2-8 and eight this year, they are disappointing. You know, currently 11-11 and 11 overall, 125th in Ken Palm. But Boston College is an outlier in the ACC as far as programs go. Um, you know, you got, you got Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Boston College, and Syracuse probably shouldn't be ACC squads, to be perfectly honest with you. But, um, you know, we it's what the ACC did to build this conference and they just they you know Syracuse has obviously adapted well Pittsburgh had some good years under Dixon and then made a terrible hire under Stallings Syracuse obviously has a Hall of Fame coach who is <laughs> entertaining at the least but uh you know Boston College needs to get with it and if they're going to hire uh, they're going to fire Christian they need to dedicate themselves to maybe hiring a guy who's already established as a winner at the power six level 
Uh, not necessarily a retread, but something, some kind of splashy hire. I, I don't think you can keep going Jim Christian, Steve Donahue. Uh, you know, I, I, you can't, you can't keep going on that line. And <clears throat> would I fire Jim Christian? I don't know. Um, depends on his contract situation, which I, I'm not aware of. But if you think that you can go out there and get a, a good coach that is going to be competitive in the Atlantic Coast Conference and do better than Jim Christian did, then then I say go for it. But I just don't know if that if that exists. I don't know how desirable of a job Boston College is right now. Uh, also at two and eight this year and number ninety four in Ken Palm is Notre Dame. This was a team that I was big on in the preseason. I thought they had the talent. Um, I don't know what the defection of Elijah Hughes prior to the end of the first semester uh, had on this team. Originally, they looked pretty good after after he left. I think he left shortly after the UCLA game. They won four in a row. Uh, unfortunately, Prentice Hub has really struggled. Temple Gibbs has really struggled. Nate Lashevsky hasn't exactly been the shooter that that everybody anticipated. You suffer the Rex Fluger uh, injury, which I believe happened in the Purdue game. I, I believe it was in the Purdue game, maybe the Binghamton game. But, um, you know, I, I, it's been a lot of bad luck. Now, I think with the good, the, you know, with the bad comes the good, and that's the emergence of John Mooney this year. At 2-8, and eight, this team has probably the most talent out of anybody at the bottom of the ACC. I, I think that's pretty evident. They have a lot more talent than Georgia Tech, Boston College, Wake Forest, um, who else is down there? Who, uh, who did I just talk about? Anyway, of those teams, Miami, they have more talent than Miami. Uh, you know, it's been a situation where they're, they're young. Now they don't have any depth. They've had injuries with Juwan Durham, and Temple Gibbs was sick for a while, and Elijah Hughes defects, and... Lashevsky hasn't, you know, the game hasn't slowed down for him at all. You know, all these things start to snowball, and what you have is the best basketball conference in the nation, and you've got to go on the road, you know, once a week. And unfortunately, you know, it is what it is. It just, everything that could go bad did go bad, and even the greatness that is Mike Bray, you know, couldn't bring them out of it. You know, they're two and eight. They're only two wins on the season are against Boston College. You know, they they swept Boston College in the season. They they lost to Georgia Tech away. They lost to Miami, Florida away. They lost to Virginia Tech away. So, you know, that's that's not really fair because Virginia Tech was at full strength at the time. But what I'm saying is, for a young team that's got a short bench, suffering injuries and sickness and and whatever else, um, going on the road in the ACC is an absolute gauntlet. It's an absolute destroyer. This team, I think, has talent. They're going to get everybody back next year. Um, John Mooney could go pro. I don't see that happening. Temple Gibbs before the season, my number three returning player in the ACC, uh, could have gone pro, I thought. He's not going to go pro. Rex Fluger has been granted an extra year of eligibility, so he's going to be back. They are basically going to lose Liam Nelligan, <clears throat> And I would expect them to add maybe a graduate transfer type player, something like that. And I think this is a top six team next year. I, I firmly believe that. I think Dane Goodwin is a budding star. I think Prentice Hub is a budding star. I think with the emergence of those two guys, as well as Mooney, and if Lashevsky kind of figures it out, well, let's say let's say Goodwin and Pre, uh, Goodwin and Hub. 
figure it out. And you get the same sort of contribution from Mooney next year. Then you can you can be okay with Temple Gibbs being a, a spot up guy. You can be okay with Leshevsky being a spot up guy outside, and then Rex Fluger is going to be that glue guy. I think with these same pieces next year, never mind Juwan Durham being probably the best shot blocker in the ACC bar none. I I think with all that. And Mike Bray being able to work with these guys and Rod Belanus and, and Ryan Ayers and, and Ryan Humphreys. I think with all that, you get these guys in the strength and conditioning program. You get a year under their belt, experience the gauntlet that is the ACC. I think this is the best team at the bottom of this conference. I, I know I said Miami has the shortest turnaround. I believe that to be the case because I think Chris Likes is so dynamic. I think he's the type of player that could carry a team. I also really like the incoming freshman on Isaiah Wong. Um, I just think that Notre Dame could. Okay, now, if they come in next year and they shoot like they shot this year, never mind. Okay, because, I mean, anybody can get good looks in the pick-and-roll offense, especially Mike Bray's pick-and-roll offense, but you got to be able to make them shots. And I think Temple Gibbs will shoot closer to 40 than he did to 34 this year, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't see this team turning it around. I see them losing at home today to Georgia Tech. I don't think they're going to be able to score. G-Tech can't score, but I don't believe that Notre Dame's going to score either, even at home. So it'll be interesting to see what happens today. <clears throat> and uh, that's the only game on the, on the slate today, so... I'll get into a preview of that here when we get done. Speaking of Georgia Tech, they sit just ahead of Notre Dame at three and seven. They're eleven and twelve in the ACC. I'm sorry, eleven and twelve overall. Number ninety-seven in Ken Palm. Um, as you guys know, this is my team. All right, um, and I think there needs to be a change. I'm not necessarily saying with Josh Pastner, but something needs to happen with that offense because that offense looks like a middle school offense. It is absolutely embarrassing to be the fan of an ACC program who can't make layups and can't hit jump shots. Okay. Um, I think, you know, Curtis Haywood is a kid that I really believe in. I think he's a really good shooter. I think he's inside of his own head right now. But the body language around this program right now is these kids are no longer buying into the system. Okay. James Banks has has developed really well, which everybody seems to under Eric Reveno. Okay. Um Josh Pastner at the press conference after um, their most recent game against Clemson looked overwhelmed and frustrated and like a man without answers. The 2019 recruiting class is empty, save a Juco kid named David Dedenko that does not star on his own Juco team. He doesn't even really play a whole lot. If I had to make a guess, I would be very shocked to see David Dedenko ever play in Atlanta. I, I don't know how you bring that kid into that program. It seems like the waste of a spot. I would rather I would rather save that and bring in a a grad transfer that knows how to practice than bring in a kid like that who's never gonna play. I, I've I had enough of that in the Paul Hewitt years, burning scholarships for no reason. I had enough of that in the Brian Gregory years. Let's just sign a bunch of projects and hopefully somebody Hopefully somebody uh, works out, which brings me to another situation. I think what's going on here is a lot of Georgia Tech fans have simply had enough, and they forget Passner's only been there for two and a half years. He's going to be there for five, people. Um, whether or not the 2019 class is a fireable offense, 
I don't know. It's not over yet. I think people are forgetting that Jordan Usher is coming in with that class. He's a really good player, transferring at USC. I think the the defections of Daryl LeBerry and Tavares Hardy can't be understated. I think that the offense looked really good under Tavares Hardy and not looking so great under Anthony Wilkins. And I have yet to see the impact in recruiting from the Atlanta area from Anthony Wilkins, where he supposedly has roots and connections with Team Stackhouse. So do I think that Passner needs to be the first to go? Not necessarily. But a change does need to happen. And right now this team is, since they scored, let's see, since they scored 92 against Wake Forest on Saturday, January 5th, they've scored 49 73, 60, 51, 63, 53, 54, 49, and 42. Okay? They haven't broke 55 points since January 26th. They are projected to lose again today at Notre Dame, 64 to 61. I don't think that'll happen. I think they're going to win today. But something needs to happen. Something needs to change very quickly. Everybody's frustrated. The kid's body language is absolutely terrible. People are getting into foul trouble because they're getting lazy. And if you're not careful, you're going to turn into Boston College. You're going to turn into Washington State. You're going to turn into DePaul. You're going to turn into Rutgers. You're going to be one of the bottom 10 Power 6 conference schools. Now, I think that the biggest thing that can happen right now is that Bud Peterson is retiring at the end of this uh, college uh, year this uh, scholastic year, I guess you'd call it. And hopefully the reins at Georgia Tech loosen up as far as how they are able to admit kids to that school. Because if you look 20 miles away, 10 miles away, Georgia hires Tom Crean. They're about to get the number two player in the country. Anthony Edwards is going to sign there sometime in the next couple days. And Georgia Tech fans are going to go ballistic because Pastner's recruiting has been shit. Since he's been there, okay, I, I, you know, I love the DeVoe signing. I love the Alvarado signing. I, I love Banks and Usher coming in. Curtis Haywood as a shooter. Okay, you, you got to do something though. You got to at some point. You you got to make a splash. You got to bring in a kid who can get his own shot. Sure, Mike DeVoe's great. He can shoot it when he's open. Right now, he's very one dimensional. Jose Alvarado is great in clutch and he plays real hard. But he's not an alpha dog in the ACC. James Banks, nice project, big man under Eric Reveno. Reveno's probably going to make him uh, a top line. Okay, ACC center, no doubt. But at some point, you, you got to get somebody who can get their own shot, create, do something to not make this offense so stagnant. And if you guys didn't think I was going to go longer on Georgia Tech than anybody else, <laughs> you haven't been paying attention. All right. One interesting thing about the ACC this year is I don't know if there's an NIT team in this conference. I think you have eight or nine NCAA tournament teams, probably eight, and then maybe an NIT team. Okay. Georgia Tech's not going to the NIT. Notre Dame, Boston College, Wake Forest, Miami, Pittsburgh. None of those teams are going to the NIT. I, the NIT, some of you may ha- know or not know. You get an automatic berth in the NIT when you win your regular season title. Okay, Everybody except the Ivy. The Ivy doesn't have a postseason conference tournament, so their regular season champion goes directly to the NCAA tournament. Now, so what that means is <clears throat> what you want, and if you're one of these teams, 
is you want your regular season champion to win the conference championship tournament. Okay, that means that opens up some spots in the NIT, and and these bigger schools get in. But what you're seeing a lot of years is these mid majors are very unpredictable, which we all know. And this year, you know, you got some teams like San Francisco, uh, Eastern Tennessee. A lot of these teams are going to fill up the NIT bracket. The SoCon should probably get four teams in. They're not going to, but the SoCon has four legit teams that could go to the NCAA tournament. Um, I think right now it's NCAA or bust for a lot of these teams in the ACC. And the first one that's that's kind of bubblicious right now at five and six is North Carolina State. They they eked one out yesterday against Pittsburgh. They had a really hard time. You know, this is the team that scored 24 points, okay, last week. We all know about it. It's been all over the news. They come back. They scored 96 against Carolina, but they can't stop them. So they give up 113. Somehow you score 96 points and still lose by almost 20. Yesterday they get off the schneid. They got Syracuse coming on Wednesday, and then they go to Duke. So things are, are, are very difficult for North Carolina State right now. They are number 39 in Ken Palm right now, and their NIT, I don't have, inf- I'm sorry, NET is not right in front of me, but is pretty respectable. I think at the end of the day, if they get a win or two in the ACC tournament, depending on what their matchup could be, they're an NCAA tournament team. Uh, you can't tell me that anyway that they're not one of the 68 best teams in America, regardless of a 24-point um, you know, performance against Virginia Tech, r- regardless of close but not quite against Virginia. You know, if say you, you know, they got to beat Syracuse, I think. You got to get another decent win and then you got to beat teams like Boston College, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Boston College again. So, you know, this is a team that's probably going to win 21-22 games before the conference tournament. You know, if you win 23-24 games coming to the ACC, I don't know how you keep them out. So, <clears throat> As far as North Carolina State goes, I love what Kevin Keats is doing. I don't have a whole lot to say about NC State. I mean, you get Mark L. Johnson, Braxton Beverly back next year. Uh, Torn Dorn is, is obviously gone. But with Beverly, Johnson, Bryce, Harris, Devin Daniels, you know, uh, and then you got an NBA player in Jalen Leck coming in. Again, I don't know a whole lot about the Sebron kid, but he's a four-star kid who is obviously pretty good. Uh, Helms is a kid I'm not huge on, doesn't really excite me all that much, but you do get Thunderbird back next year. Sasha Kalea Jones gets eligible next year. Uh, Wyatt Walker is a grad transfer this year. He's listed as only a junior. I'm wondering if maybe he's going to be able to play next year as well. If so, that would be huge. You also get Manny Bates back, presumably from injury. And they're also in the running for a small forward out of Georgia. Actually, I think he's out of South Carolina, but plays in Georgia. Uh, six, seven, uh, four-star forward named Christian Brown, who is an interesting prospect in that <clears throat> he was once very highly regarded, top 15 type kid, and now he's bouncing around. Now teams like Wichita State, are, are offering him and other people are jumping into the pool and it seems like his pool is expanding instead of shrinking um whether or not nc state is still in the mix i am sure they are i actually think looking the other day they may be leading in the crystal ball so you know if they land him you know some people are, are bigger on him than others i was big on him for g simply because he's a talent upgrade how much talent he would bring 
and and how much impact he would have on a team like NC State that already has guys like Daniels, Bryce, um, and Funderburk, as well as uh, Braxton Beverly on the wing. I don't really know. He would be cool in transition. I think he actually kind of projects to be a player like Torn Dorn. Now, Torn Dorn has a uh, a killer mentality, and you know he's a guy who's going to do the hard work and he's going to work his behind off and, and do everything on the floor. Whether Brown is that type of player, nah, I'm not really sure. And, and there's certainly other people that uh, that know a whole lot more about recruiting than I do that have seen this kid in person that say, yeah, he can't shoot it. He's kind of a hustle player. He's kind of a prima donna. But you can't deny that the kid is talented. All right. Now, the team that I think is the the potential uh, NIT team right now is Clemson. They sit at 15 and 8. Somehow they're still number 30 in Ken Palm, which is interesting. They've now won four in a row. All right. They've evened out their ACC record at five and five. They sit at 15 and 8. And their next game is Miami on Wednesday. So they're, you know, that's an away game at Coral Gables, but this is a senior laden team. Shelton Mitchell is starting to turn it around. I, you know, Amir Sims turning around. Elijah Thomas over the last few games has looked just dominant. If he could just stay out of foul trouble, it would be incredible for Clemson. But, you know, they also have a very good backup in, in Javin White, who has kind of came out of nowhere and played incredible. I think he, where is he from? Oral Roberts? I can't remember. But um, I, I've been impressed with him off the bench. I am not a Brad Brownell guy. You guys know that. Um, I think right now, as of yesterday, they had Clemson as the next four out, so the last eight teams to not get into the tournament. That is that's NIT area right there. Um, again, you have to. It's it's difficult to project the NIT NIT field until you see how these how championship week goes. But right now, you know Miami away. That's a winnable game. Louisville away. They're probably going to lose. Florida State at home. They're probably going to lose. I don't know, Florida State on the road. I don't know. Even with the win yesterday, I'm not sure I trust Florida State. Uh, Boston College at home is a win. Pittsburgh away is a win. Notre Dame away is a win. Syracuse is probably going to be tight. Um, you know, right now, Ken Palm has them projected to go 6-2 and two in the last eight. If they're able to do that, they're going to be in the tournament. Uh, pretty pretty simple. You know, you go 21-10 and 10 in the ACC. They're going to get a win or two in the ACC tournament, depending on matchup. Yeah, you, you sit at 22, 20. Say they go 23 and 11 in the, in the regular season, they're going to get in the tournament. Yeah. So right now, it, it's going to be Clemson or NC State is going to be one of the last four four to eight teams in, I think. Um, you can, could see NC State. I think it's more logical to see NC State and Dayton than it would be to see Clemson and Dayton at this point, given how this, this, uh, given how this, this schedule unfolds here. I, it wouldn't shock me. And NC State is looking like, even though they won yesterday, they only won by three. Uh, Pittsburgh had their chances. Uh, it, it's interesting. NC State's an interesting team right now. They got the talent, but what did I say coming into ACC play? They're pr- and I, I, I hit Virginia Tech on this as well, but Virginia Tech's going through some other different circumstances right now. You need to you need to schedule like you play, like you're preparing to be in the best. The, the best conference in the nation. And the ACC is the most competitive conference in the nation. I, I, I think you can tell me what Ken Palm says about the Big Ten and Big 12. I don't care. Um, the ACC just has more teams. Unfortunately, what that means is they also have some shit teams at the bottom. And 
But when you got to go look at look at Virginia, they played Duke last night. They played Carolina tomorrow. That's 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 brutal. Notre Dame did the same thing the other day or a couple weeks ago. I think they played Duke in North Carolina on a Saturday Monday. No, you don't do that. Another another not not to that level. And hey, in my eyes. When you're talking 68 best teams in the country, Clemson and NC State are in that argument. I don't give a shit who's... You can't tell me that Marcus Reed and Shelton Mitchell and Elijah Thomas and Amir Sims... Amir Sims, by the way, looking like he's going to be a star. Okay, Not quite there yet this year. He's going to be there next year because he's going to get a ton of volume next year. But, um, you know, when it comes to the tournament, give me Clemson. Give me North Carolina State. You guys can keep San Francisco or fucking... Whoever else, St. Mary's, I, I don't care. Uh, although, Frankie Ferrari for San Francisco, if you haven't seen him play, go watch him play. Also, um, uh, Connor Hope told me that uh, I haven't watched St. Mary's this year, but was his name? Jordan Ryan is a tremendous player for St. Mary's. Go watch him as well. Uh, expand your horizons, people. Uh, next in the ACC at 6-4, and 18-5 and five overall, Florida State. <laughs> Florida State. Do you guys remember when Florida State was like one and four in conference? Okay, um, now they're six and four, which I believe some handsomely smart gentleman said was entirely possible. They have won five in a row. I think I may have said that they wouldn't get the Louisville game or the Syracuse game. I forget which. So they sit at six and four in the ACC. They have Wake Forest at home, Georgia Tech on the road as their next two games. So completely plausible that they're going to be at 8-4 and four here pretty quick. The number 22 in Ken Palm, okay? Leonard Hamilton is just doing Leonard Hamilton things. And, you know, he's got maybe the best bench in the ACC. Seriously. Um, Carlton Young, fantastic recruiter. Stan Jones, fantastic recruiter and development guy. And when you look at what they're going to have back next year, they get Trent Forrest back, MJ Walker. So Trent Forrest, MJ Walker is going to make up their backcourt. Feek Habengeli is still only a sophomore. Uh, You get Polite, Vassal, Raekwon Gray, who's been giving them quality minutes this year. You got Kroprivica coming in. You got McLeod coming in. You've got Nwokaji. I know I pronounced that incorrectly, and I'm sorry. Uh, Coming in. Patrick Williams coming in. (laughs) He's just, he's reloading. And Florida State's going to be good for a long time. Now, where I where I backtrack on Florida State is Hamilton is is not my favorite in-game coach. And I think that's probably the knock on him um, worldwide, okay? He, he's, he, he's, he, he's, a, he's a gatherer of talent. He's a hunter and a gatherer of talent. Gets the best guys he can. Carlton Young, go invade the state of Georgia. Get everybody he can. Bring them back to Florida. We're going to throw them on the court and see what they can do. Now, that's caused some problems this year because, you know, Phil Kofer's been injured. MJ Walker's been injured. Fee Cabangeli can't stay out of foul trouble. When he is on the court, he's their best player. But they don't have that alpha dog. Terrence Mann wants to be that alpha dog. Okay? He desperately wants to be that alpha dog. If he could shoot a little bit better, he would be. But they go through lulls. They went through a lull yesterday to start the game against Louisville. They had another one after they came back and took the lead. Louisville jumped back out. And then Florida State was able to turn it on. They pushed it. I think I turned the game over to Duke and Virginia with about four minutes to go, three minutes to go in this game. I want to say Louisville was up by five, maybe seven. And as I'm watching the ticker, all of a sudden we're in overtime. Florida State's up. Florida State wins. I Watching the game yesterday, 
I at no point that I think that Louisville, even though the score was close, I thought that they were not in danger of losing the game. I thought Kristen Cunningham would pull it out. I thought Jordan Ora would would do something spectacular. I, I thought Stephen Enoch, who kind of played like an idiot yesterday, um, you know, there, there's talking shit and then there's being an asshole. And I think yesterday Stephen Enoch was kind of being an asshole, but. Um, you know, this is the same roster, talking about Florida State, this is the same roster that went to the Elite Eight last year. For the most part. Um, 22 and Ken Palm. That's crazy. I want to see, actually, you know, it's funny. You look. Sometimes you forget. You look at what these guys have done this year. Florida State beat Florida, okay? Now, Florida has underwhelmed, but they're still top 40 in Ken Palm. Uh, beat LSU, beat Purdue, beat UConn, which UConn, eh. Uh, beat St. Louis, and eh, that's not that fucking impressive, I guess. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, Miami, yeah, twice. But now, you know, look at the last three games. Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Louisville. That's not a bad run. I mean, Georgia Tech, I give them a lot of shit, but you got to be decent to play against that Georgia Tech defense, especially in Atlanta. But, you know, Leonard Hamilton, he's, what, 80 years old, looks 40, recruits at a 20-year-old level. And Florida State... This year again, some of their parts. I think next year, next year you got to see why uh, not Wyatt Walker, Jesus, um, MJ Walker. You got to see him bust out next year. I think next year lines up perfectly for uh, Cabin Gelly and MJ Walker to be maybe the best one-two punch in the conference. I, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibilities. And I think in order for them, they're going to be deep. They're going to be talented. I'm just wondering. They're also going to be very young. Um, we'll see how that happens next year. I'd also like to see Wyatt Wilkes get on the court next year, which has, yeah, get a haircut. Um, Florida State, I don't see the Elite Eight run. I think they're safely in the tournament, especially with how their, their, um, their schedule lines up. One, two, yeah, see, they're, they're favored to go six and two over their last eight. That'll put them, yeah, 24 wins, less than 10 losses. Yeah, Florida State's going to be in the tournament. It's, you know, we were worried two weeks ago. I'm no longer worried. Let's go to Virginia Tech. All right, this is interesting. Virginia Tech's number 10 in Ken Palm, okay? 18-5 and five overall, 7-4 and four in the ACC. It, it has snowballed on this team, and you, you got to kind of feel for Buzz Williams, uh, Justin Robinson, um, is obviously haunted by the ghost of Bimbo Coles, which, you know, Robinson breaks his record the next, you know, the next game he injures his foot and he's out indefinitely. I don't know whether that means next week he was still in a walk-in boot yesterday. I don't know if that means conference tournament. I don't know if that means NCAA tournament. In a perfect world, you want that kid to come back and play a couple games before the tournament. You don't want that first game back to be an NCAA tournament game when you're in a 5-12, 6-11 matchup. Because um, just knocking the rust off, getting the confidence back in that foot, that can be a task in and of itself. You combine that with the P.J. Horn injury, who is going to be out probably another three weeks, I would imagine, three to four weeks, is what I'm seeing. That's the most consistent thing that I'm seeing. And wow, you combine both of those injuries with the fact that Chris Clark was suspended for the entire season and that Landers Nolly was deemed ineligible for the season, you just lost four of your top nine guys, okay? How? You can't expect anybody in the ACC 
to withstand that kind of loss. Now, Virginia Tech never got used to playing with Clark this year. They never got used to playing with Nolly this year. So they've, But at the same time, that's talent that you're now replacing with Isaiah Wilkins. You're replacing with John Cabongo, which John Cabongo did come into the game yesterday and hit a three. But <clears throat> it, it's just not the same. Well, Bisabidi is a very talented defensive point guard, and I think he can run an offense, but he's obviously not the scorer that Justin Robinson is. I think that Nikhil Alexander-Walker is fantastic, but I don't think he's a point guard at the college level, which is really interesting because I was hearing the uh, color commentator yesterday talk about how Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to play the point at the NBA level, which is interesting because he's a big dude. He's 6'5". I mean, he can obviously shoot it. He's NBA-ready right now. He's a lottery pick. But um, it's interesting. That'll be interesting to see unfold. I don't watch a whole lot of NBA, but it'll be interesting to see how he plays. Um as far as Virginia Tech goes, they dropped in the power rankings this week. They've now lost two in a row. Uh, I I don't have any faith in this team if if Robinson is out for the rest of the season. I, I just I don't know how you can. I you know I love Walker. I love Ahmed Hill. I love Kerry Blackshear when he's right. Which you've seen it in the last two games. You saw it against Louisville. You saw it against Clemson. When Kerry Blackshear stays on the court and he gets on the block, he's about as about as close to unstoppable as anybody in the league right now with his back to the basket. He's got good touch. He can step out and shoot it. He can, you know, he's got good use of the glass, which, you know, which what I mean by that is he kind of gets his, himself going towards the baseline and he can hit that falling out of bounds, sweeping layup type shot. Um, He's just, he's a really good player. He's just got to stay on the court. It's really as simple as that. Um, I haven't, you know, without Robinson, the last, let's see, three games, uh, 47 points and a win, <laughs> um, 64 points and a loss, and 51 points and a loss. They just, they just don't have enough offense to withstand that, and they don't really have the, enough depth to withstand the horn injury, which you may see Virginia Tech kind of head the way that Miami has. Um It'll be interesting to see moving forward, I guess, if we're talking uh, going down the road here. If you look at what's going on in the Texas schools, which Buzz Williams is a Texan, Texas A&M looks like they may be positioning themselves to move on from Billy Kennedy. I think that's a mistake by Texas A&M, but whatever. And then at some point, Texas is going to be sick of Shaka Smart not producing at Texas. So, you know, there have been whispers about Buzz Williams going to UCLA. I think that's a stretch. Because um, UCLA seems to have turned their interest to Tony Bennett at this point, which I think all that's going to do is result in Tony Bennett getting a huge raise in Charlottesville. I think Buzz Williams is going to stay for one more year. I like the Anthony Harris, uh, Andre Gordon, and Emmanuel Miller class that he has coming in next year. I'm sorry, not Miller. Yeah, it is Miller. But he's got the other kid, this uh, Galt- Galtikin, who is a two-star but is really... He's kind of well-respected. Jesus, Kerry Blackshear's only a junior. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you lose Hill, Robinson, Outlaw. You know, you're going to lose Alexander Walker. You're not in bad shape. If you get if you get Brendan Nol- uh, Landers Nolly back and you can put him out there with Wabisa with, with Beatty, Chris Clark, P.J. Horn, Kerry Blackshear, um, Anthony Harris is obviously a good player. Andre Gordon's a pretty good player. They're going to be right back at it next year. They're going to be perimeter orientated again next year so we're going to talk about this stuff more in the offseason but 
I just wanted to kind of break it up a little bit. I can only say that Syracuse and Florida State are mediocre for so many times. So moving on to, we're now in the top five. Syracuse, actually, you know, for I give Syracuse a lot of shit. They're 17 and 7. They're 8 and 3 in the conference. Really interesting. But they're only 42 in Ken Palm. So, you know, that, I think that kind of shows how, how their roster, not their roster, their schedule has unfolded. Uh, I thought they looked pretty good yesterday. They only won by 11. They probably should have won by closer to 25. Again, offensive lulls. I, I don't know why Jalen Carey is not playing. Can somebody explain this to me? I, I don't understand it. He, yesterday he played two minutes. Um, Buddy Beheim played 23. Okie dokie. Um, but, you know, Buddy, no, yeah, he still, he wasn't any good yesterday. No, he had 16 points yesterday. Hmm, not bad. But, uh, you know, he's starting to shoot a little bit better. I just don't know why. I just, I, I don't know how. I mean, I know why, but. You know, Jalen Carey, yeah, you're only going to fuck around so long before that kid's just going to leave. But um, Syracuse looked pretty good yesterday, I thought. Uh, certainly the, the score isn't as indicative as how much Syracuse kind of dominated that game, I thought. The, the the loss at home by 18 to Florida State, you know, that's that's kind of uh, what are you doing? You know, it's a game that, that Syracuse probably should win. The earlier losses, the Georgia Tech at home, Buffalo at home, Old Dominion at home. UConn on neutral, you know, I get the Buffalo loss, I guess, but, you know, this program, there's not a whole lot to say. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're probably going to make the Sweet 16. They have a Hall of Fame coach who is able to coach them up at tournament time. They're going to do just enough to get in. They certainly are in better shape than NC State, Clemson are right now. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is the most unpredictable team probably other than North Carolina State in the ACC. You never know what you're going to get. Um, I once again will not be putting a ton of money or a ton of faith in Syracuse, and it will probably burn me when it comes to fill up my bracket. All right. Uh, as far as incoming, uh, let's see. What does Syracuse have incoming? I think they got a pretty good class, actually. Let's see. Yeah, JG3, uh, Bryson Gooden, Quincy Garrier. Quincy Garrier, if you don't know who he is, go to YouTube watch him. He's absolutely one of my favorite players in this class that nobody ever talks about. Uh, and then they got a project, Big Man and John Bowl, a yak. Which, they get Sidibe back again next year. They get Dolajai back next year. <laughs> Dolajai is actually listed on verbal commits as a small forward. Yeah, that ain't happening. Um, which, speaking of Dolajai, if you watched the game yesterday, did anybody see that post-entry pass that he tried to throw yesterday? Tried to throw it from one side of the three-point line across the bucket to the opposite block on a lob pass. It was one of the most ridiculous shots. It ended up in a, in a, in a layup the other way and <laughs> ended up in Pascal Chukwu immediately coming off the bench to take him out of the game. It was one of the grossest plays and grossest uh, post-entry attempts I've seen all season. Moving on to number four. Actually, they're kind of tied. They're tied at fourth with Louisville. Louisville 17-7, and 8-3 in the conference, 13th in Ken Palm. Had one, one, two, three. Well, they were 8-1 coming in. Oh, 8-2 coming into yesterday. I forgot they got shellacked by North Carolina. Um, actually, yeah. Uh, Florida State, yes. I, I thought they had this game yesterday. Um, I don't really know what happened. Like, I thought it, it was close throughout. Okay, it was, it was what, 31-25 at the half. And then coming to the last 10 minutes, it was, they were up by 8 or 9. I, I thought that Nora played well. I thought that... Uh, Dwayne Sutton played well 
Actually, whoa, Wuerl was 0 for 6 from deep. That's crazy. And not very often you see Louisville um, hit 12 triples and lose. But I just, Louisville is a team that if you watch them play, they sometimes look out of control. They some, but they're also very poised. They're very deep, very talented. They play extremely hard. I think Chris Mack has done an extremely good job this year with this program. This is a team I picked 12th to finish in the ACC at the beginning of the year. I didn't think they had the horses. I knew that Noro was going to be good. I did not know that Kristen Cunningham and Dwayne Sutton were going to be this good. And I, I certainly didn't know that you were going to get contributions from Stephen Enoch and Malik Williams like you have either. I think that's a that's a situation where you have to look at Chris Mack and give him a, a little uh, you know a nod of the head. Where am I at on time? Yeah, almost in an hour. This is gonna be the longest podcast of the year. Um, <clears throat> I think this is a team that I have in my top sixteen. I think they're a three or a four seed going into the tournament. They have one of the best recruiting classes in the country coming in next year. I think that this program is. One of the most admirable, this is going to sound funny because I know what you guys are thinking with the, in regards to the Patino years. I think this program is the most one of the most admirable in the ACC. They, they do, they, they, they're out to win games, okay? They do whatever it takes to win games, and they don't give a shit who knows about it. And I admire that. I really do. Um, you don't have guys like, like Coach K out there saying he's never been affected by paying players. Bullshit. You got Roy Williams out there saying that his kids take legitimate classes all through his tenure at UNC. Bullshit. Okay? You got Larinaga who is, he plays like the old grandfather card. But there are certain people that say he's not really like that. Okay? He's full of shit too. Kevin Keats, he was part of Patino's crew. So, yeah, fuck him. He's, he's probably famed recruits too. But what I like about Louisville is, hey, we're here. We're scumbags. But... We also identify who we want. Okay, We want Chris Mack. We went out and got him. It was not the most popular move around the country to get rid of David Padgett. Okay? Clean cut, white boy, did it right. They were still successful even though they didn't make the tournament. You should have gave him another chance. No, no, no. We're going to go get Chris Mack. We're going to get one of the best 10 coaches in the country. Okay, we're going to get the guy from Xavier who just, we're going to take the guy from Xavier where he's coaching at his alma mater and just landed a number one seed in the tournament and we're going to bring him to Louisville. Oh, we can't do it? Watch us. That's why I admire Louisville. They're, they're dirty. They don't care. They don't care who knows it. You know why? Because everybody else is dirty too. Okay? They go get Chris Mack. They bring it in. How many, how many programs fire a Hall of Fame coach like Rick Pitino, take a, uh, a year hiatus and then come back with probably another Hall of Fame coach and never miss a beat. It rarely happens. Rarely, rarely, rarely happens. Um, and I, for whatever reason, I admire Louisville for that. And right now, they're 17 and 7, 8 and 3 in the ACC, number 13 in Ken Palm. They're about to be a top four seed in the tournament or a top 16 seed in the tournament, I guess. Hey, it, it, you might as well embrace what college basketball is at this point and just go for it. And if they catch you, they catch you. And if they don't, they don't. They don't seem to have a whole lot of interest in catching you. And if they want to take your banner down five years after you win a national championship, screw it. Everybody already knows. Louisville won the 2013 championship. I love this. Pro- I wish I was a fan of Louisville. I, I mean, I obviously am a fan of Louisville. I wish I was. I wish I loved Louisville like I love Georgia Tech. Because all Georgia Tech does is give me heartburn. So, Chris Mack, right now I have him as the ACC Coach of the Year. And I don't think it's close. If, if Buzz Williams still had Justin Robinson, it may be a race. But right now, Chris Mack is my ACC Coach of the Year. 
Uh, moving into number three, newly number three, also number three in the ACCBasketballReport.com power rankings, their Virginia Cardinals sit at 20-2, and 8-2 and two in the conference. Looked, I thought, fairly uninspired last night against Duke. Uh, again, number three in Ken Palm. They are favored to win out the rest of their games. I am interested to see how they travel to Chapel Hill tomorrow because you have a very good defense. You have number three in adjusted defensive efficiency in... Um, in Virginia, going against number seven in adjusted offensive efficiency and number five in the country in tempo in North Carolina. And North Carolina lately has been embarrassingly good on the offensive end. As far as Virginia goes, state of the program, I don't think there's any way that Tony Bennett wants to go to UCLA. I think you can just put those, if you're, if you're a Virginia fan and, and you're worried about that, don't worry. Okay, they're just going to give him a raise. He's going to be fine. He's going to be at Virginia. I, I, I don't know where Tony Bennett would rather be than UVA. I think he's probably had a ton of opportunities to go places that are a better situation than UCLA. UCLA is sort of like NC State. They want it done. They want it now. And they're going to fire your ass even if you just do okay. Um, was, was Mark Godfrey great at NC State? No, but he was pretty good. Was was Steve Alford great at UCLA? No, but he was pretty good. I mean, he wasn't Ben Hallen, but they fired his ass too. So, who knows what they want? I think the way that UCLA and NC State, I think the way they run their programs, it makes them look unstable. Now, NC State made a home run hire, I think, with Kevin Keats. We'll see what UCLA does, but I don't think Tony Bennett wants to be the guinea pig to see what UCLA does. So, you know, there are certain programs that I would be nervous of if they came open. UCLA isn't one of them when it comes to Tony Bennett. As far as the future of, of Virginia, I don't think you ever have to worry about that because Bennett is going to recruit to his program strengths, to his system strengths. I think when you have a kid like Casey Morsell coming in, uh, Kadeen Shedrick coming in, I, I think that you're fine. Okay, You get D. Keithay back next year. You get Key back next year. Kyle Guy probably going to come back next year. Ty Jerome is is the outlier here. Obviously, DeAndre Hunter is going to leave, but I think Key can slide into that 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 uh, small forward role. Um, Ty Jerome could go pro. That would be interesting. But, again, I like the Morsell kid. Key A. Clark can play some point. He's got to teach him how to score. It'll be interesting. I think with limited possessions, all you got to do is get some kind of efficient numbers out of those kids, you know, I think next year you're looking at Jay Huff replacing Jack Salt, Diakite and Key with him in the front court, and you got Kyle Guy, Kia Clark, or Ty Jerome, which I am not. I'm not convinced that Ty Jerome's going to go pro. I think the only guy you might lose early off this team is DeAndre Hunter, and then you lose Jack Salt to graduation. So, and Jay Huff is good. He's certainly shown that he's good. He's not the screener. He's not the defensive presence of obviously the Jack Salt is, but hopefully, uh, you know, Diakite can be. And Diakite is a really good shot blocker. Um, I, I think you're fine. You know, UVA, if, if there's ever any doubt, is going to be fine for years to come because Tony Bennett is probably the best system coach in the entire country. Is Tony Bennett the the Bill Belichick of college basketball? Is that is that kind of what we're we're seeing here? Like, not great talent. Like the Patriots don't have great talent on defense. They don't even really have great talent on offense. But they still just won the Super Bowl. Okay, Tony Bennett. You know, he's got some five-star guys, he's got some four-star guys. His system is not sexy, but, you know, is is Tony, could he win anywhere? Could he make, could he, could he go to, say, a school like Texas A&M and make them a powerhouse? Oh, I absolutely think so. 
Could he go to K-State and make them a powerhouse? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that Tony Bennett is the Bill Belichick of college basketball. And I didn't even have that written down. That just kind of came to me. Maybe it's just because I'm a Patriots fan. But anyway, Virginia's fine. North Carolina is currently tied atop the ACC at 19-4, 9-1 conference. They're number eight in Ken Palm. Who saw this coming? Oh, that's right. That's right. It was me. It was me. I saw this coming. Yeah. Before the season, who picked North Carolina to finish atop the ACC? This fucking guy. When nobody else did. You show me one other person that picked North Carolina to win the ACC. Now, obviously, they haven't won the ACC yet. In fact, they are projected to lose three games along the way, the rest of the way. Obviously, those being uh, the one tomorrow night against Virginia and both games they have upcoming against Duke. <clears throat> I don't think that's the case. Duke isn't gonna Duke isn't gonna come out and shoot threes like they did yesterday. Not against North Carolina. They ain't gonna do it again, and they certainly ain't gonna do it twice. And I think in order for Duke to beat this North Carolina team, they need to hit threes. Because let's see, the last let's let's go last five games. Uh, Virginia Tech, one hundred three points. Georgia Tech, one of the best defenses in the country, seventy seven points. Louisville, one of the not a great tempo team, but a good. Uh, offensively efficient team 79 points north carolina state running gun you want a running gun all right we're gonna hang 113 on you miami shorthanded not great they put 88 on them so now duke is obviously a very good defensive team as well but in order to beat north carolina you got to hit threes i think and i'm standing here I'm still standing here nine and one in the acc i still think this team is going to be the acc regular season champ now that was also probably dependent on duke um, losing a game to Virginia. That would have helped my prognostication 100%. So at this point, you've got to beat Virginia once and you've probably got to beat, or you've got to beat Duke, you've got to win tomorrow and you've got to beat Duke once in order to win the ACC. And is that going to happen? Two and one against, that's, that's tough. But nobody's deeper, nobody's more talented, nobody has the mix of athleticism, youth, um, experience, than, than North Carolina in this conference, and I'm going to stick with that. So that brings me, and as far as future, I mean, as long as Roy Williams is there, and Roy Williams has now decided that he's going to recruit his ass off again, um, you know, Jeremiah Francis coming in is a good player. Armando Baycott coming in is a good player. I think they're still going to get Cole Anthony, and then you're going to have Leaky Black next year. Um you know, Seventh Woods, Brandon Robinson, Garrison Brooks, Sterling Manley, all these guys are gonna be back next year. You're gonna have you know, next year you're gonna have Jeremiah Francis, Cole Anthony, and Armando Baker. Now, I'm just assuming that Cole Anthony is gonna go to North Carolina. Obviously, Oregon is a major player in that. But even if they don't, Seventh Woods I think has played really good this year. You guys know that I love Leaky Black, and Brandon Robinson has really played un very well under the radar this year, finally. You know, this is a kid that was ranked very highly coming out of high school and ha has played pretty well off the bench, especially in the absence of, um, shit, who's hurt right now? Leaky Black, yeah, especially in the absence of Leaky Black. <clears throat> so, you know, as long as Roy decides he's going to do it and he's going to put his all into it, which he just signed a new contract extension this year, 
you know, North Carolina's fine. I mean, they're, they're blue blood for a reason. And speaking of blue bloods, the bane of my existence and the bane of the rest of the ACC at 21 and 2, 9 and 1 in the conference, and number one in Ken Palm, the Duke Blue Devils. I thought that they looked like, hey, we're just going to put all this nonsense to rest last night, and we're going to go into John Paul Jones, and we're going to hit you guys in the mouth and see how you react. And it looked like for the first time, maybe all season, that RJ Barrett was locked in from the tip, ready to go. Because he came out, he wasn't fucking around. He was, he, he just, everything he did looked um, deliberate, I guess. Like it was exactly how he planned it. I think he came out yesterday and decided, hey, I'm going to come out and I'm going to show these guys that I can shoot tonight. And I think that that was infectious with everybody else. I think his ability to show that he can shoot the three infected Cam Reddish, who then started banking in threes and... Then you've got Trey Jones just wreaking havoc on a less than 100% Ty Jerome and an inexperienced freshman who is also injured in Kiai Clark. And, I mean, I, I don't even know what. Let's let's check what Jones' stat line was last night because it was absolutely insane at one point. Trey Jones, 13 points, 7 assists, 2 steals, 4 rebounds. He did have 3 turnovers, but who cares? Um you know, he hit a triple. Duke goes 13 of 21 from deep. They haven't done that all year. They went 2 of 21 against, uh, they went 2 of 21 against Georgia Tech. And I think in the Boston College game, they went 1 of 15 in the first half. And they come out and go 13 of 21 at John Paul Jones against Virginia, who's one of the best defensive teams in the country. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, as far as, um, you know, their future, they're fine. You know, I think a lot of people, including myself, were, um, optimistic that the the defection of Jeff Capel to, to Pitt would negatively impact their recruiting. And what did they do? They gave me the finger, and they go out and they get five-star Boogie Ellis, five-star Wendell Moore, five-star Vernon Carey. They're also looking at Matthew Hurt. And there actually have been whispers that Trey Jones may come back for a sophomore year. Oh, yeah, and then next year they have Jack White returning, Javin Delorier returning, Marcus Bolden possibly returning. So Duke is fine. Um, they also made the final six for R.J. Hampton, who's one of the best players in the 2020 class. Um, so that is basically my reset. That's where everybody's at right now. That's my thoughts on everybody right now, where they are, and who they are going forward. I want to hand out some midseason awards real quick for you guys. I already gave my coach of the year in Chris Mack. Um, first team. All ACC right now, I have Zion, R.J. Barrett, Jordan War, and Kobe White. I think those five are the most obvious, right? I, I think that you can't really have an argument with those five. It's that Those five are bust. Where it, where it came into play was I think that a lot of people would assume that Nikhil Alexander-Walker is the fifth guy on that. And I had to do some digging. I had to look around a little bit because I almost put Chris Likes in that fifth spot. Chris Likes is... If you, if you don't watch Miami play because their record sucks, you're missing out because Chris Likes is one of the most entertaining players in the entire conference to watch play basketball. Ultimately, I went with NAW simply because he's more efficient. Um, he does a little bit more on the court, obviously due to his size and length and defensive ability. And, and I put NAW on my first team. Chris Likes, if he continues to play like this, will be on my second team, without a doubt. Uh, for my freshman team, I have Zion, Barrett, White, obviously. And then I have Jalen Horde. Um, who, you know, he had 19 and 17 the other night. The kid's talented. He's buried on a bad team playing for a bad coach. Uh, 
he's going to be good this year. If he stays, he's going to be excellent next year, and he may turn himself back into a lottery pick. Uh, the fifth spot for my freshman team, I went Winston Tabs for Boston College. There was there was higher rated kids coming in this year, namely um, Landers Nolly, Michael DeVoe, um, Isaiah Musius. Then this kid, this kid came in, was allowed himself to be coached up, and went out and performed. Now, unfortunately, he's been injured, which sucks, and that's cost both us as as fans as well as his team as far as wins. But I, as far as one of the best freshmen in the class, Winston Tabs is, is where it's at. Um, player of the year, Zion needs no no reasoning behind that. He is. He would take first, second, and third, and then Barrett would probably come in fourth. I mean, Zion, he, the way that he changes the game. It was funny last night. I was listening to Shulman and and, and Billis, and they're talking about how great of a half that that Barrett's having. Zion had what eleven points, four boards, two blocks, two steals. I mean, just doing everything. I think he hit a three or two in 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 the first half. It just the way that the kid impacts the game is absolutely incredible. Um, where I Almost rookie of the year, also Zion, by the way. Coach of the year, I gave it to Mac. Sixth man of the year was very interesting to me. And it's this is an interesting conversation, which if you guys know me, I like to watch middle of the pack, bottom of the pack, ACC games most of the time. I mean, I'll watch Duke, Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. I'll watch those games, sure. I, very rarely will I watch Duke play Wake Forest or watch Duke play Boston College. I will watch Pittsburgh and NC State, though, all day long. <clears throat> so sixth man of the year... And I and I commented on this a couple weeks ago for those who may not know. One guy that really impressed me yesterday was City and Deer from Pittsburgh. I hadn't I don't remember seeing a lot of him this year. And I thought he was fantastic. I think Eric Lockett has been fantastic for NC State off the bench in a role that I didn't, you know, he's not really a three-point threat, but he gets in there, he mixes it up a little bit. He's a hustle player, he plays winning basketball. Ryan McMahon for Louisville, obviously a sniper and one of one of the best weapons you can have in college basketball, is a short white kid who can shoot the three. <laughs> but um, no, I'm just, I'm kind of kidding. But uh, you know McMahon, I, he's actually probably their seventh or eighth man at this point. But um, I don't know why Darius Perry ever plays when you have Ryan McMahon able to shoot the ball. Darius Perry is a walking turnover, and Ryan McMahon is a, a nice kick pass away from drilling a three for you. Uh, I ultimately, as you guys probably well know, went with Fee Kevin Gelly, who the only reason that he is a six man is because he can't stay out of foul trouble. So it allows him to sit usually the first four or five minutes, maybe three, of a game before he gets in there and has an impact, which yesterday... <clears throat> Um, Florida State, I think, played the first two and a half, three and a half minutes. Didn't score a point. Fee Cabangeli comes in the game. They're down 14 to four, I think. And then all of a sudden they're tied at 18, tied at 21 or something like that. His impact on Florida State is absolutely incredible. And I, I, I wish, you know, next year he's going to be, he has a shot to be a dark horse player of the year in the ACC next year. If he can get his minutes up a little bit, his production will soon follow. This is a kid that could score that could average 20 and 8 with a couple blocks next year. Uh, nephew Dikembe Matumbo, so he's got that pedigree. Really impressed with Kevin Gelly. I just wish that he could stay out of foul trouble because the, the talent that he has and what he provides in the basketball court is absolutely incredible. All right, fellas. Uh, you know, power rankings are up. I have a Kyle Guy piece up today, which I'm sure some of you Virginia fans, it's a follow up piece to the conversation we had on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. 
at Peacone36. Follow Charlie, follow Kinchin. Go to accbasketballreport.com for the power rankings. Uh, go for some opinion pieces, the primers, corner threes. And I think that's about it. Don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast. Leave me a review. Uh, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. And make sure it's five stars, make sure it's pleasant, or make sure it's funny. It can be mean as long as it's funny. I don't, you know, be cruel as long as you're being humorous. That's what I always say. And I am Michael Hunter. This has been the ACC Basketball Report. Hope you guys have a great day.